0: Welcome into another episode of Real Pod Wednesdays. Dan Hope joined by Colin Haas Hill. Gaming up on the end of January here, about a week away from National Signing Day, which most of Ohio State's recruiting class already locked up. We're going to talk about that a little bit more next week. But this week, we have our film expert, Kyle Jones from 11 Warriors, is going to be joining us to talk a little bit about Kerry Combs' return, about how the offense could change with Master T get running back next year, and answer some of uh, your questions as well that you all submitted through a forum. So we'll get to that in just a few minutes. We're also going to get to some uh, roster breakdowns. We're going to take a little bit more of a deep dive into Ohio State's uh, quarterback and running back depth charts for next year, and we'll, we'll do some of those over the next few weeks here leading up to spring practice there was a press conference last week at ohio state i actually wasn't there but colin was i was at the senior bowl but mickey mirati met with the media at ohio state probably the the best news that people want to hear coming out of that was mickey mirati said justin fields is healthy and does not have any restrictions right now in off-season workouts. Honestly, I thought they I thought there might be I thought they might be, you know, trying to take it easy on him a little bit more this winter and spring coming off the knee injury that obviously hampered him at the end of last season, but but so far all indications are he he seems to be making a full recovery and and they're not expecting any limitations this spring.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. Um I just a week prior uh, Ryan Day was asked about specifics of what his injury was and when. When Ryan Day sort of didn't didn't really want to give exactly what had happened, what um, whether he needed any surgical procedures, anything like that. You know, in your mind, you just think, well, I don't know. Maybe he did need something, and and maybe that'll keep him out for a little bit. But no, no, he is he is good to go. That matters. Uh, I thought that. Um, Like that, it was one of those press conferences where there wasn't really one big breaking thing, but I thought there were just a a good amount of just little interesting tidbits. Um, A few of them health related, so like if we just want to run through those pretty quickly, I I think some of them are pretty interesting. Uh, Marcus Crowley, he said, Mick Moradi said that he's not sure whether he'll be available for the spring. Um, It was interesting at the end of the year he had his uh, his knee injury that that ended his freshman season prematurely and then we saw him at a basketball game last week wearing a sling on his uh, on his arm Um, not exactly sure what's going on there but it's 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 a weird spot for the running backs to be in right now um, when they're trying to replace JK Dobbins and having Marcus Crowley healthy is is going to be pretty pertinent to that even though they're obviously many many months away from the season they still want to try and sort of piece together what the situation is going to look like. Yeah, I think it's significant if
0: he's not available for spring, just because you look at their running back depth chart right now, J.K. Dobbins is obviously gone. You have Master Teague, who's the front runner to replace him as the starting running back, but then behind him this spring, Mayan Williams isn't on campus yet. We really don't know exactly where Demario McCall is going to fit in. So the only other guy that... You're sure is going to be on the field as a scholarship running back. Our Teague this spring right now would be Steel Chambers for the redshirt freshman. So I I think not having Crowley out there, especially for those guys, Crowley, Chambers— This is a really important spring for those guys to kind of see what they can bring to the table because at least with Teague, at least he played fairly regularly last year. He's still got to make a big jump, but we at least saw him play in pretty much every game. Whereas if Crowley and Chambers, we really only saw them come in at at the end of some blowout wins. So, those are guys that really could use all the reps they can get, and for the coaches to be able to evaluate how ready they might be for this fall. And if Crowley's not out there, it, it certainly doesn't disqualify him from, you know, coming back in the summer and, and being able to make a push for a spot in that rotation. But it, it is a significant setback in my
1: mind. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, how are the dog acoustics in the background? By the way. Uh, can hear him a little bit. Can hear his These dogs need to bit. stop walking and stop walking by this house, apparently. <laughs> um, but uh, so, uh, other injury wanted to hit on Cam Babb. Um It's it's funny when when Cam Babb committed. It was it was uh, it was a big deal because he's a guy who's uh, from the St. Louis area. Was a top 100 recruit. Um, He's, he's a guy that you maybe even imagined having, having an impact early in his career, and it's just he's had three ACL tears and, and three years dating back to high school, and now he's entering his third year at Ohio State, and he, he really hasn't done anything on the field as a Buckeye yet. Um, and right now, according to Mick Moradi, he's, he's participating in all training, which is pretty big for a guy who... Um, who you, who, who you really didn't really know what you were going to get out of at this point in his career. And and sure, he's a long way from getting on the field. But to, to me, like right now, just any steps are big steps for, for for a guy like Cam Babu who has been through something that honestly it, it reminds you of some guys like Johnny Dixon earlier in their career.
0: Yeah, no question about it. I, I think from my perspective at this point, Anything you get out of Cam in 2020 is a bonus because I just don't think you can count on, if you, if you actually go back to high school, he he has now had three season-ending knee injuries in a row. So at this point, I, I don't think you can really set any expectations for Cam Babb. I don't think you can be counting on him to play a huge role in your offense because, We just don't know exactly what he's going to be capable of coming off that injury, but you you mentioned Johnny Dixon. There's a guy who, at the same juncture in his career, we would have been having the same conversation. We would have been saying, who knows if Johnny Dixon is ever going to be able to really play for Ohio State, and he ended up having a really productive end of his career, was a team captain, Uh, is on the Arizona Cardinals practice squad now, so there's... There's still three years left of eligibility for for Cam Babb to be able to salvage his Ohio State career. And he's somebody who came in with a lot of expectations, has a lot of talent. They have so much talent in that receiver room that he's not necessarily someone that they need or that I expect to play a big role this year. But if he can get healthy for spring, who knows? And it, it certainly... You talk to someone like Brian Hartline. He's the type of guy who, who looks at it. But the more quality players we have, the more competition we have, the better. And and so if you can get Cam Babb back and then you've got four early enrollees, you're going to just have a lot more competition out there on that field where even after losing K.J. Hill and Austin Mack and Ben Victor, you're just going to have a ton of options of that receiver position that is really – quite exciting for ohio state fans we know chris olave is really good we we've seen that garrett wilson has star potential but there's so many other talented guys in that room too that we don't quite know about yet but there certainly can see the upside that, that those guys have the potential to be stars
1: so beyond those those sort of injury updates, was there anything um, – I think uh, Maradi spoke for about 30, 35 minutes. Was there anything really that that stuck out to you beyond those?
0: Yeah, it's hard because I wasn't there, so I was kind of only reading just like the transcripts of it. Um, you know, I, he did seem to have a lot of good things to say about Zach Harrison, which is is not a surprise because there's somebody who has a, a ton of ability and someone who – We've talked about the Bosa's and the Chase Young's. That's the kind of expectations that he's going to be held to now because he was a top 10 overall recruit in his class. So those are huge shoes to fill, and and I'm not personally going to go there and say I think he's going to be the next Chase Young or the next Nick Bosa, but that's what people are going to expect of a guy like that because of how highly recruited he was. So certainly uh, I think hearing good things about him is – Is always a good thing to hear and I I know he talked a lot about just the the early enrollees and you know this of course 14 guys being by far the biggest class of early enrollees Ohio State has ever had so you know he he talks about how he always kind of has those guys off in a separate group and I imagine some years that group can feel kind of lonely because some years you only have five or seven (laughs) mid-year enrollees but this year with 14 guys it really makes sense because you've really got already more than half of your freshman class there and and i'm sure those guys just through these workouts i'm sure they're already just building a ton of camaraderie as a group that's going to carry them forward into these next three to five years for those guys
1: yeah i think that's one of the that's one of the bigger things that that i sort of took away is You know, they like where this freshman class is at. Um, And you can never really count on too many freshmen playing. I think, honestly, I think at this point in the year, people really overestimate what freshmen are going to do in their their first year on campus at a school like Ohio State. I think there are some anomalies. um, But for the majority, they're either going to be in special teams roles or they're going to be in reserve roles playing at the end of games. Um, But they really like where they're at right now. Um, It is interesting. If you even just go by just the the rankings – like they have the top five um, prospects that they're gonna sign that they have signed um, already enrolled. They already have both quarterbacks enrolled. They already have all four wide receivers enrolled. They have Paris Johnson, who's the future uh, offensive future left tackle. Of the of the team he's already enrolled. I think that I think it's it's good to have these guys just getting that extra time because you know you ne- you you do never you never know when you're gonna need them. Um, another another guy I would just wanna. Just want to mention is it's just like it's it's just so obvious every time someone brings up DeJuan Jones' name, how much everybody loves him. Like everybody loves him. When 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 I think Bill Landis, exactly, exactly. uh, What is it? Triple D, Big Thanos, all of them, all the above, all the nicknames. But when when I think Bill Landis, the athletic asked uh, asked, um, and I think like right when the name came out of his mouth. Like, Maradi just put his head back and just started laughing and just talked about how much, like, he'll sometimes like he'll try and be hard on Dewan and 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 you know how strength coaches can be and and he'll 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 be hard on him and Dewan will just like look at him and smile and like that is just who he is like he's just he's just this big, big character and at the same time like he's also he's also I think pretty pretty impressive to to what these coaches um were expecting um I hundred percent thought he was gonna redshirt as a freshman. He didn't. Um and I think his body is in a pretty decent place. I don't know its exact weight right now, but, but even Mick Moratti when he was asked about like what's a goal weight for him, like how much weight does he have to lose to really get on the field, he didn't he didn't specify an exact number. And it's because the what what he said is he doesn't have a ton of body fat on him right now. Like he's just he's just an athlete, which is crazy considering he's above three hundred and sixty pounds and he's six foot eight.
0: Yeah, it's it, it's it's got to be fun as a strength coach to work with somebody with those kind of physical measurables, because even at a school like Ohio State, where you're getting the best of the best, most elite athletes, you just don't see a lot of guys like DeWan Jones walk through the door.
1: Yeah, no. And it's it's fun because it's fun for him because the three right tackles right now who are going to be competing are for to start or DeJuan Jones, who's just this massive physical freak. And then you have Nick Petit Frere, who I, I still remember Brandon Bowen said, I think he had the I think he had mentioned that he had the quickest feet that he had ever seen from an offensive lineman. And then you have Paris Johnson, who has put up, basically, NFL measurables, um, NFL combine numbers, and, and all those combine categories as a um, high schooler. And, like, those are the guys that he's working with. And as a strength coach, like, that, that's got to feel like heaven. Yeah, and,
0: and there's no question that the talent is there for that offensive line to be, to be elite. They've got a lot of elite talent on that offensive line, and... Obviously, so much of that comes down to the development with Coach Tadrawa in the spring and the fall, but I think that's one position especially where the work that they do with Mickey Maradi in the offseason is just so important because an offensive lineman, there's just there's so much that goes into when you're that big, that balance of weight and muscle and body fat and, and quickness and athleticism. It, it, you've really got to strike that balance just right with these guys for them to be able to perform at their peak and i think having an elite strength coach like mickey marati a staff that has shown time and time again they know how to develop these guys i think is such a crucial part of their development that we probably don't talk about enough most of the year but it it's it's so important like you said a guy like paris johnson your job is probably a little easier because he, you had mentioned it before he even arrived at Ohio State. He already looked like a college offensive lineman. You he, he already had that kind of build. But you think of some of the other guys like a Trey LaRue who's in as an early enrollee or guys like Jacob James and, and Grant Tutano who will come in in the summer. Those are the guys where that work with Mickey Marotti is so crucial because those are guys – they, they do need to change their bodies a little bit. They 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 do need to get more athletic. They, they do need to to maybe put on some more strength to get to that college level. And, and the work that Maradi does in preparing them so that they're ready for spring practice, they're ready for preseason camp, is is such a vital step in that process. You want to jump into our interview? Let's do it. We We know that a lot of you are tuning in today to hear what Kyle Jones has to say, so... Let's get into it. Back on the show for a second time, Kyle. Thanks so much for joining us today. Hey, thanks for having me here, guys. It's always a pleasure to have you on and, and talk some scheme. And as we as we had talked about uh, in the past, we really wanted to have you on specifically to talk about Kerry Combs and his return to Ohio State because I think the big question that a lot of us have is how will his coaching style fit in with the returning defensive coaches. In Ohio State's new defensive scheme so how do you see that playing out
2: so I, I think it's a really interesting fit mainly because of the, the philosophy that he's coming from in Tennessee um, when you look at what Tennessee did on defense it's it's not that different at least pre-snap from what we saw from Ohio State this past year Ohio State as we all know, played a defense very similar from what we are seeing from the San Francisco 49ers, which of course comes from Pete Carroll and the Seahawks, which is a cover three, single high safety in the middle of the field, a 4-3 alignment. Uh, Where the differences come in is... Whereas the Seahawks and the 49ers and, and thus the Buckeyes really don't blitz all that often. Uh, what you see is we're going to play a conservative shell on the back end and really try to use our front four to create pressure. Let our linebackers just stay home and make plays, make tackles, corral the running game. And it's pretty obvious which, what level of the defense you're in, um, what your job's going to be. Tennessee looked like that pre-snap. They often had the safety in the middle of the field. They played a lot of cover three. The corners bailed a lot, similar to Ohio State's corners. But the difference was that uh, Dean Pease, who is former Ohio high school football coach very famously as well, uh, his defense was very aggressive. And you saw a lot of simulated pressures, which is what LSU and Dave Aranda are kind of known for, meaning we're going to put six guys on the line of scrimmage and, and we're going to plug every gap with, you know, middle linebackers over the center. And then at the snap, three guys are going to drop into coverage. You just don't know which three are going to come and which three are going to drop. So they did a lot of that. They did a lot of blitzing edge defenders. So uh, maybe a position like where Sean Wade uh, was the slot corner, he would be the fifth rusher. Um, that kind of thing happening uh, in Tennessee a lot. And they, they definitely blitzed a lot more. So it's, it's less of a question of, can Kerry Combs come in and Ryan Day has been pretty clear that what these we saw from the defense last year was what he wants to see moving forward. That's what he had trouble the most trouble with as a coach going up against. Uh, you know, he certainly made it seem like that's what he wants moving forward despite Jeff Hatley moving on. And so for Kerry Combs, now he's coming in. Yes, he can, I'm sure he can coach cover three, he can coach single high man coverage. You know, he did that a lot with Greg Ciano. But what he was exposed to last year in Tennessee, if he's expecting to bring a lot of that with him, now that's going to be a much more aggressive philosophy. They're blitzing a lot more in early downs, not just waiting for third and long to, to send those extra guys. So from my perspective, it's a really interesting fit. Um, I'm very curious to see how much does it change. Obviously, the personnel will dictate that a lot. The, the secondary almost entirely changing over with Sean Wade moving outside, three other new starters back there. And, you know, while the, the linebackers will remain largely the same, at least two starters with two other guys coming back in and then a very talented front four, you could make a very clear case for why they shouldn't really change things up. That front seven's pretty solidified. They know what they're doing. Don't mess with a good thing. They were the number one defense in the country last year. But now you don't necessarily have that philosophical leader of sit back, keep everything in front of you, may maintain leverage on tackles, um, and force the defense to dink and dunk all, or force the offense to dink and dunk all the way down the field and beat you. And so, it's just a different philosophy um, from what we saw last year. Who knows what Combs is going to come in? Maybe he's perfectly capable of it. We'll just find out.
0: We saw last year that. Ryan Day brought some different things to the table than maybe we thought we were going to see coming into the season. He's been adamant that they're going to stick with the same base defense that they had last year. But do you think it's going to look different that he's got some tricks up his sleeve that he doesn't want us to know about until the games begin?
2: Yeah, I definitely think if you look at the way he's coached the offense and the way he's really adapted the playbook every year to who the best 11 or 12 players are, um, and really fitting the system to their sk- their strength, I, I definitely think that's going to happen with the defense this year, and although as I said, that that front seven's really solidified, I think uh, the other three new starters and with Wade moving out to outside corner, those that secondary and who really emerges as the starters in that secondary are going to dictate what the coverage looks like, and that's really going to have a trickle-down effect on the larger defense as a whole. So, you know, if if you've got guys out there, if Seven Banks and Cameron Brown emerge as lockdown guys alongside um, Sean Wade, if someone looks like Malik Hooker and in, in playing center field as a sa- at one safety spot, uh, depending on Pete Werner and what, what he does this offseason, does he start playing and, and dabbling a little bit more in what was really a strong safety position last year? Uh, really, depending on who the people are, that'll dictate what they're able to do coverage-wise. And so I would expect uh, some more... Uh, split field coverages so two deep safeties that are a little bit more interchangeable Um, some more quarters looks like we saw back in the day under Chris Ash and even maybe some split field coverages um, like what TCU has done what Alabama does a little bit where you're playing one coverage on one side of the field and a totally different coverage on the other Um, those are definitely things that every coach has in their in their toolkit these days and so I wouldn't be shocked to see any of those things. It's really just going to come down to who those people, who the people are back there. And that's really what I think they're going to spend the spring doing, less of trying to install specific schemes and really figuring out who's there to figure out what they're all capable of doing.
1: But before I ask a sort of wider question, I, I did want to ask this because when when I was watching the Fiesta Bowl, this was sort of apparent. And it was when when they went to uh, a second safety, they brought in uh, Josh Proctor to, to play. And he played a bigger role than, than really we'd seen him in, in almost every game the entire season. And, and I think sort of one thing that stood out that was different between him and Jordan Fuller was there was a couple times where he just missed tackles that I think maybe if Jordan Fuller was in that position, he would make. And, and, and it makes me wonder, like, if if he's someone who isn't quite as sure of a tackler, like, can you even get away with playing a single deep safety?
2: That's a really great question. And my answer would be no, but you may not have a whole lot of other options. I think mm-hmm. what we saw is the last few years, how many years in a row has Jordan Poole Jordan led the team in tackles? Three? Two, at least?
1: And yeah, at least you, two. Yeah.
2: He's been up there. Exactly. And I, I think you think this is a guy who's lining up 10, 12, 15 yards from the ball sometimes. But that's when you think about, you get really technical with how the run fits. You know, the the Buckeye defense might have all the gaps filled and that back still, you know, sneaks through. There's only one guy there to make a tackle. And so I I think to your point, yeah, if you're going to play a single high safety, that guy better be able to make a tackle. You know, we saw it a couple times, not only with um, the Clemson game, but even in uh, Wisconsin in the Big Ten championship game they were using those jet sweeps to, to rotate the defense. Right. And a lot of them very, very rarely do they actually run the jet sweep. They just ran that jet motion and they figured out, Wisconsin figured out very early that Ohio state's answer to that was roll the whole defense. So instead of trying to have Sean Wade sprint across the field and keep up uh, with that receiver, Sean Wade or, or Damon Arnett or whomever the corner was would roll into that free safety position. And then Jordan Fuller would roll down to, to follow that, that's uh, jet motion. And there's that early touchdown that uh, Jonathan Taylor scored. I believe it was a 30, 40-yard touchdown where Jeff Okuda standing in the middle of the field as the free safety because he had rotated over and he completely whiffed on that tackle. So your point's a great one. And that's definitely going to go into the decision-making of how do you fit the run game with one high safety versus two. I mean, there are defensive coaches that will talk about this topic for days on end.
1: Yeah, it's it's really one of the most interesting things that I think Kerry Combs is going to have to figure out, and of course, he's got many many months to to do that. But um, taking a little bit of a wider lens on on this question, I'm just wondering when 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 you're evaluating a guy like Kerry Combs, who you, who you've obviously seen coach at Ohio State up close, we've seen him go on to the NFL. He has a he's a long history coaching in, in high schools and whatnot. But but now he's into this into this new role as defensive coordinator at Ohio State, and, and there's like there's part of you that has seen him seen him coach seen him uh, seen what he can do in, in certain areas, but you also haven't seen him necessarily in this specific role. So when you're trying to evaluate um, um, what Ohio State is getting, how much risk they have here, how much confidence they should have, in, in Kerry Combs and the role he's going to be in, like like what are you seeing? So I
2: every coach at that level especially a guy like Pierre Combs, who's coached so many football games in his life, period, uh, regardless of level, right? Uh, He's been a head coach. He's been a coordinator at the high school level. He's got every answer, and he should have every answer. So you say, hey, an offense is going to throw this at you. What's your answer going to be? On the chalkboard, any coach at this level is going to be able to give you the answer. The hard part's going to be teaching it. Um, And I think we saw that with the previous staff to this one um the greg greg shiano's last staff where you had a bunch of guys that came from differing backgrounds and it was kind of thrown together last minute in terms of who was really in charge and who was going to be there who was filling what role and being able there wasn't necessarily anything wrong with what greg shiano was putting out there if this were Madden and he was just calling the plays and everyone knew how to run all the plays there was nothing wrong with it the hard part was Making sure that how you're, you're teaching those schemes, how you're installing them from July 31st or whatever the first day of camp is, all the way through August, up until the opener, throughout the season, how are you layering those on top of each other? What we saw from from Halfley and Greg Madison and the staff last year was they were very comfortable in what their base look was. It was that cover three zone, but they also had some change-ups. They could play cover one. They could play a little bit of too high when they needed to. They had some blitz packages, They were, and they, it was very carefully put together so that not only did they have answers for when offenses gave them problems that you know were the weak spots for attacking in cover three, they were ready with those those answers, and they had practiced them. And I think what we saw with Shiano in the year before was oh, crap, we need to come up with something. Here, let's try to install it this week. Let's see if we can come up with it and get good enough at it come game time, and most of the times they weren't. So the, the challenge for Kerry Combs is not going to be necessarily having the answers, but layering those answers and teaching those answers in a way so that when you need them, you're ready for them, if that makes sense.
0: One of our listeners, R. Burgundy Four, asked about your opinion on what Combs might teach differently now that he might bring with him from the NFL in terms of coverage variations and moreover, cornerback techniques
2: so the cornerback techniques are going to be very different. Um, well, not not going to be, they could be very different and that's less even from the Titans and more just of his time having been an Ohio state assistant. Um, the way that he was in charge of teaching corners under Chris Ash, whereas pattern match, it was, it was press, but it was man match. Um, so it was man coverage, but you know, you had different rules. So you traded based off of what the receiver did and things like that. Um, and then what he did under Greg Schiano, which was just straight lock you up man coverage. Uh, put put your receivers on an island and, and go, you know, how do you teach Denzel Ward, uh, Marshawn Lattimore, those guys, how do you teach them to lock somebody down? And then what we saw in the, the NFL was a little bit more of bail coverage. It was a little bit more zone match, which is similar to more similar to what Ohio State did last year. So I think from a, a technique standpoint, uh, you could see a, a variety of different things. But I think from a what he's going to bring with him, I would be shocked if this team didn't blitz more from their base, uh, from their base package than what we saw this past year. You, you almost never saw, you also never saw them line up with their four-three look with their base personnel on the field, and you saw say, Tuff Borland and Malik Harrison blitzing at once. You just didn't see it very often. You didn't see a lot of blitzes from the inside linebackers outside of. Um, nickel package and, and clear passing down so i can see that um, especially if we get into a, a situation where um, perhaps the run d isn't working um, you know the maybe the loss of these senior defensive tackles in cornell and hamilton and landers is really starting to get felt maybe some of the young guys or you've got some depth concerns there um, and they're just not able to plug holes you know maybe you're going to see a little bit more of regression from a blitzing standpoint that's that's really my my best guess
0: What's your personal level of optimism on how well all this is going to work?
2: I mean, I think you've still got tons of talent. And I think the the real key there is that you've actually, despite all the turnover in the secondary, the front seven so experienced. Um, I think the way that Larry Johnson rotated defensive linemen, not just at tackle, but the, due to injuries, the amount of defensive ends that got legitimate uh, solid playing time this year, that front seven is going to be so strong or it should be one of the best in the country. Maybe not on an NFL draft board level, uh, but from a know what they're supposed to be doing. They every, I know what my job is and I know what the guy next to me's job is as well. I mean, it it could be look a little bit more similar to say a 2016 line where, um, you know, you had Taequann Lewis and Jalen Holmes and Sam Hubbard and none of those guys were the Bosa brothers or Chase Young. You know, you, you know, Nick Bosa was on that line, but he was such a pup. Um, You know, but that line was so effective because those guys had all played so much football. They'd all played with each other. The linebackers behind them, Raekwon McMillan and Jerome Baker were experienced and they knew what the guys in front of them were doing. I think we're at that place now, which is going to help so much because those young corners are going to be put on islands. They're going to get attacked. But the more that that the defense is able to take away everything else. So, you know, the tough Borland gets maligned by message boards. Poor guy. But he's so solid and knows exactly where to be. Yeah, he might not be able to chase and follow a running back out of the backfield every time. But he knows where to be. He sheds blockers. He's going to shut down that A-gap or that B-gap interior. Even the will position is going to be fascinating to see. Does Baron Browning win it? Does Justin Hilliard win it? Does one of the young guys step up and actually win it? Whoever it is, that guy's going to be more than well-prepared. And then Pete Werner I think we've talked about is one of the most valuable players on this team just because of all the things he can do. So I think overall, yeah, this, these, are, these are champagne problems. You know, it, it's you can't exactly replicate the defense you had the year before when you had one of the hottest young you know coaches. Oh, probably the best defender in the country and the best maybe defensive back in the country. Yeah, you're going to take a step back regardless. But there's no reason this unit can't still be top 10, 15 in the country.
0: You also recently wrote about how Ohio State's rushing offense is probably going to have to change schematically next year to fit Master Teague's game rather than J.K. Dobbins. With Dobbins out the door and and Teague and maybe some of these other running backs getting more playing time as well, what do you think the Buckeyes need to do from a blocking standpoint in order to give those guys a chance to maximize their success?
2: Well, I think it's just a, a level of comfort for what Teague seems to want to do. He just... Seems to be a guy who's most comfortable with his shoulders square to the line. Um, doesn't mean that he can't, you know, he doesn't have agility or a little bit of wiggle in him. But uh, Dobbins just seemed more comfortable, you know, kind of running laterally to the line, waiting and p- having the patience for that hole to open and then exploding through it. Whereas T seems like a guy where it's see my cut, make my cut, get upfield now. And once he's running, once he's moving north and south, he has a load to bring down. Um, You know, I've seen some readers make Derrick Henry comparisons, which I think is a little ridiculous. Let's let's slow down there. Um, But, you know, I think a Carlos Hyde comparison is a real one Um, from when Hyde was uh, with Ohio State. He was a little bit bigger of a back. He was much more straight line. And um, I think the way that he and Braxton played together in really kind of an inside zone based offense is definitely how I can see Ohio State doing it with Justin uh, with Justin Fields. Fields isn't going to have to carry the ball as much as quarterbacks did. I know court people are, are hesitant to want to go back to kind of the urban method where the quarterback's running 25 times a game like JT Barrett did. I don't necessarily expect that, but is this a potential situation where Fields keeps it five, eight times a game? Yeah, I think he should because he's that talented of a runner that you want to use that weapon um, and use that to hold defenses. So I think kind of going back a little bit to a, an inside zone-based offense – um, going a little bit more zone read, obviously you can include some RPOs, some uh, bubble screens and thing, quick slants, things like that to help uh, take the pressure off fields running alone. Uh, but that's really what my expectation would be with assuming that T really maintains his standing as the top back.
1: I think one of the interesting parts about that is is they're running behind a line that is going to have Wyatt Davis, Josh Myers, and Thayer Munford back. And if you look at the other positions, it could be Harry Miller and Nicholas petit Frere who are both. Five-star guys in their own right. Um, how much do you think that that really matters um, in terms of uh, sort of when you're when you're trying to figure out a way to, to um, find the way to maximize Master T and the running game? How much how much does it matter that he's running behind these guys?
2: Oh well, I mean that certainly helps. I think you know whoever it is, the the key will be to figure out who that those five are right away. Maybe not right the first day of camp, but figure out who that fifth guy is. We assume it's going to be Nick petit Frere at right tackle. Um, who knows? Maybe it could be everyone's favorite Dewand wins the job. Uh, but whoever who, whoever went, those five guards are. If I'm if I'm Coach Stud, if I'm Kevin Williams or Wilson, I'm sorry. I want to know who my those other two starters are by the end of the spring ball. And that way, throughout all of fall camp, those five guys are repping every day over and over and over. Because what makes made those guys so good this year, especially Wyatt and Josh Myers and uh, Jonah Jackson, was they had such great chemistry. They knew when to to feel when the other guy had had come on for that combo block and they could slip up and and then take take the inside linebacker. Um, they knew when I could release. They knew when they had help. They knew when um, if they saw a late blitz coming with the guy next to him was going to see it or not. And that chemistry is so important to offensive linemen. And that's really, what, when you add chemistry to talent and that kind of athleticism that all those guys have, this line could be the best in the country. I don't think that's hyperbole, given the talent that we're talking about here. And sure, if you're if you're master team, yeah, those guys, are gonna, they're gonna plow people over. These are also huge, huge guys that we're talking about here. This is not one of these, you know, athletic, lean, offensive lines. These, this line's gonna be built to move people. And that's exactly what master Team's is going to want to do. Um, so, yeah, it's really just a question less of who is that person from a, you know, recruiting standpoint, how many stars did he have, but how quickly did that person win the job so that all five of them can work together? And then, of course, staying healthy is a huge part of it as well.
1: Got one more Master Teague question. It's from a listener. I thought it was a good question because it, it is interesting when you look at the the way the Master season went earlier in the year. You I don't know if you remember it was er, it was really early, but people were wondering like should he get more? Should he get as many carries as J.K.? Like should they be splitting reps? Um and and what Grand Grand Lake Selena asks is is there is there an explanation of of what you've seen on film of the lack of output from Master Teague later in the season? Was it a talent issue? A scheme issue? Just a statistical anomaly? What were you seeing there?
2: Well, I think you look at who was on the schedule the first two months versus the last month. Yep. Um, <laughs> you know, if you get catch where I'm going here, what you saw a lot of times was he was he was getting a lot of reps uh, as the third and fourth series, perhaps. You know, JK would be in there for the first two or three, and then he would get the fourth series, um, and and they would do that in the first half, and then he'd come in in the third quarter when the game's already largely out of hand. And yes, the starters are still in, but that's a dejected defense that's probably been run over. They've had Justin Fields already throw for four touchdowns on them. They're not lively. And, you know, like we just talked about that offensive line is they're licking their chops now because they know they've got a defense that doesn't want to be there. Wyatt Davis is ready to put somebody, you know, in the fourth row. So is Jonah Jackson. So I think what you saw, some of the holes when you watch the film, like against uh, Miami and Indiana, I mean all three of us together could have run through, through some of those holes. So I think there's a case of the talent maybe not being there. And then as we got to the last month of the season, not only were the games tighter, but, you know, Penn State's defense, even when, you know, the game you know, it never really got out of hand, but, you know, in the third quarter when it's still a close game, that defense is ready to fight. And so I, I think what we saw was just a little bit more of, um, you know, the talent level rising in that, in that, set, that last part of the year and, you know, Master maybe not standing out quite as much and also just not facing tired, dejected defenses very often.
0: Another kind of similar question to that was asked by T. 83 He said, D- going back to that Clemson game, did-, did you see them change something defensively at halftime that shut Ohio State down in the second half, or was a lot of that just related to J.K. being injured and having to change the play calling accordingly?
2: Um. As Brent Venables does, he not he didn't stay aggressive. He got even more aggressive, if that makes sense. He did the same thing against LSU, where he, I mean, he showed everything in that game. Um, I think Ohio State caught Clemson a few times in the first half. Um, that was a fascinating game from a scheme perspective because you had Ohio State who came into the game and largely said. We, you know what we're going to do. We're going to keep doing it, and we're going to do it at a high level. Stop us, and they executed so well that if Clemson made any mistakes, uh, Ohio State exposed them. But then what started happening in the second half was okay. Now that now Clemson's seen it before. Now when you keep trying to run wide zone for the fifteenth time, we know what that looks like. Uh, now when you try to run that bubble screen, we know what that looks like. And they've got athletes too, and and now. Brent Venables knows what to expect on first and 10, on second and five, and he's sending blitzes right to those spots. And so I think what we saw was, you know, a really great coaching battle between um, two of maybe the best play callers in Day and Venables um, just going at it. And, you know, it was probably a little bit of Day got a little bit luckier in the first half. And in the second half, Venables got lucky. He called some blitzes that hit. Um, called some, uh, you know, run blitzes specifically that attacked right where Ohio State was trying to run the ball a little bit. It might have been some tendency specific knowing, hey, they might try to run towards the tight end on this play or in this situation, I like to run to the wide side of the field. And um, that it wasn't anything specific like, oh, they moved Isaiah Simmons into this spot. So it was just a, a fascinating collection of small things that added up to, wait a second, Ohio State hasn't moved the ball very well. What's going on here?
0: Nut in PA asked about looking ahead to next year's offense. Considering the massive skill set Ohio State has at quarterback and receiver and tight end for the upcoming season, will Ohio State's offense be a modified "quote unquote" air raid offense that will mainly use the run to set up the pass? He, he thinks you could see record passing attempts and numbers next season. What's what's your take on that, Kyle?
2: Um. I, yes and no. I mean, this is so hard to predict just because we don't know what we're going to get from Ryan Day. Um, you know, as, we, as we've said already ad nauseum, last year's offense looked nothing like the year before, which looked nothing like the year before. Right. And so, what he's going to do is, I think we look at it and we go, "Oh man, Garrett Wilson really emerged, and Chris Olave he really emerged, and Jeremy Ruckert. Maybe they'll finally throw the tight end. And then, obviously, you've got the best tight. The you know maybe, if not probably, the best quarterback we've ever seen in Columbus. And why not use him to his fullest extent? It wouldn't shock me if the first month of the season, fans are going, what the heck's wrong with the offense? Because it's just they're just not showing a lot. Um, I think they're going to try to lean on that offensive line. I, I really do think that the offensive line is going to be the strongest point of this entire team next fall, um, for the reasons we've discussed. And as a result, they might there might be games where you say, Justin Fields threw the ball 18 times, you know, for 200 yards. Chris Olave only touched the ball three times. Garrett Wilson twice, and Master Teague and Steel Chambers each had 25 carries, and they won 45 to nothing. You know that that's that's a reality where we might see, and then they're So I don't really know what to expect. You know, I can't, I hate to not have a better answer than that, but I can see this being a hey. I know you. We want to see an even better version of what we saw with Dwayne Haskins and all those receivers, because it's fun and it's exciting. But I also think that they're, if they can win cons- relatively conservatively by just beating people up, because at the end of the day, this is Ohio State, and they're going to be bigger and stronger than everyone they play until they get to the bowl game. And even then, they might still be bigger and stronger. That's what they're going to do.
0: If if Ryan Day has, has confused you so you don't even know what's coming, then he's doing a good job because <laughs> <laughs> you know your stuff, Kyle. Uh, we had a couple more questions. Get in Juice asked more of a, a writing question. He wanted to know, how many hours do you typically spend preparing your film study articles, and are you more of an offensive or defensive guy?
2: Oh, that's a great question. Um, so I probably spend of actual work – What I'll typically do is spend on the weekends anywhere from like three to five hours, depending on what is happening. So in season, I'll obviously watch the game when it happens. I'll rewatch the game usually on Sunday, and that's when I'll get really meticulous. And um, especially if I don't know what I'm looking for, um, you know, I'll spend a lot more time kind of breaking down the film and rewatching plays over and over again. Um, then I'll usually make my cutups, and then the writing is actually the quickest part. The actual writing I do, and this probably says a lot about my writing ability, is that I <laughs> probably spend about an hour writing itself and I spend the rest of the time uh, just watching the film. What I'll also do a lot of, especially in the off season, is I'll talk to coaches um, and other people that I kn- that I respect. So um, you know, I talk to other guys that break down film with other teams um, that I know, whether through Twitter or just you know, I'll email guys because I know they write for other sites um and try to get their take on certain things I'll, I'll do a lot of research and reading and watching clinic tapes just to try to understand hey i want to learn more about receiver play for instance and i want to understand how do you you know how do you teach receiver play or how did richard sherman and, and the, the seahawks teach cornerback play which i spent a lot of time on a couple weeks ago uh so yeah it's usually about three to five hours watching film and then two to three hours of uh you know, other stuff, whether it's just communicating and trying to learn and code with coaches. And that's the, the fun, the most fun part about this whole thing is just every week I try to learn something new. Sometimes it comes through that. I look, I seem like an expert, but a lot of times it's because I, I just found out about it and I'm excited to share it with everybody.
0: The final question that Ginnan and Jews had for you is a hot dog, a
2: sandwich. Technically. Yes. Um, it, it is technically a sandwich. It is between two pieces of bread. Um that is I would define it as a sandwich, also, the best hot dogs are in Chicago, where I live, and this is not up for debate.:
0: There you have it, folks. a hot A hot dog is a sandwich Kyle Kyle Jones decrees it here on real pod Wednesdays. I love I'm sure our man this will end the juice.
1: debate. I was just going to say, I love our man getting juice who's on the cutting edge of comedy there. one of he's one of our
0: favorites oh, I believe. I believe he has asked a question every single episode of Real Pod Wednesdays. So keep you know, the streak going. Get in juice. We love you.
1: For sure. For sure.
0: Kyle, thank you so much for joining the show once again. I know our readers, uh, listeners, I should say, really appreciate the insight, and we'll have you back on again later in the off season.
2: Oh, my pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me on. This is fun.
0: Thanks again to Kyle for joining us on today's episode of Real Pod Wednesdays. Always a pleasure to talk to him and, and hear what he has to say. And we, we talked to him a little bit about the running backs. So we'll get to that in a few minutes. But we, we wanted to talk some about the quarterbacks as well on this week's show because we know people always want to talk about quarterbacks. And it's always kind of a natural place to start when we're going to get into breaking down the depth chart and position previews and whatnot. And, and you know, I know one of the listener questions was about you know who's going to be the backup quarterback this year. And so we'll get into that because the good news this year, Colin, is we don't have to pretend there's a quarterback competition. We don't have to hear for the next eight months about how Justin hasn't done enough to be the starter yet and about how Matthew Baldwin's pushing him or Gunnar Hoke's pushing him. Justin Fields is the starter, period. The only question now is, what areas can he improve in, and how much better can he be?
1: Yeah, this is um, this is a this is a fun position for Ryan Day to be in. Like we were talking about earlier with with Mick Moradi and, and the offensive tackles. Like this is a good place for for Ryan Day, and, it, and it's challenging almost because you know you have a guy like like Justin Fields who really just like he doesn't come around that often. Like you you have an arm like he does, you have legs like he does. He's built like a running back in his lower body. It's sort of it, it, it. he you you get a chance to mold somebody who you who I, I get it. Cj Stroud, Jack Miller, I I think that both of them are going to have really good careers. But Justin Fields just seems like on another level. Um and and him going into year two at Ohio State, I think you get a you get a good chance to reflect on where he was, you get a chance to figure out what what you do from here. Um. And I think a lot from the outside world is going to be, like, when people talk about Justin Fields, and this is why he's going to be a Heisman Trophy front runner is like, all right, how much better can he be? Like, where can he get better? And I think it's a reasonable question. The, the, the funny part about it is, like, for 10 weeks, the first 10 games of the year, I'm not even sure that we really even knew how good Justin Fields was. Like, we almost really have to evaluate where he was, where he goes from here, just based on sort of last four games of the season. And you know, it's, it's, it's kind of fun
0: thinking ahead and seeing that Oregon game on the schedule in week two. Because mm-hmm. that means we're actually going to get to see what this team is like early in the season. If, you, if you're Ryan Day, you'd probably prefer, prefer it like last season where you don't really have to show anything un, until November. But it, it's going to be more fun for us. You look at that first month of a season, you know, Bowling Green, Buffalo, Rutgers in there. Those are all going to be the kind of games where the starters are out early and they don't have to show much. But that, that road test at Oregon in week two, that's going to be a really competitive game. And so we're going to get to – that's going to be kind of our first measuring stick. And, and, and I think really when you talk about the Heisman race, the way these things work – that game is going to play a huge part in setting the narrative of his entire season. If if he goes out against Oregon and he lights it up and leads Ohio State to a big win, he's going to be right at the top of that Heisman race. If he doesn't have a great game, it's going to be like Trevor Lawrence last year where People are going to talk about regression and 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 start all the narratives, and, and that might stick with him for the entire season. So I think right there, right there, early in the season in September is going to kind of play a huge role in shaping that whole narrative for the entire season of what Justin Fields' season is going to be.
1: Yeah, just looking ahead, like this is going to be funny. Like just like let's give a hypothetical here. Imagine if he just wipes the floor with Oregon. If he just has a great game. They also played Bowling Green, Buffalo, and Rutgers in that first month. He might enter October with like ungodly numbers, and as the Clear Heisman front runner. Like it were like th- that's the thing with the Heisman Trophy is it's, it's all about the narrative. Like there's a chance that, that that Justin Fields just makes a real name for himself early in the season, but yeah, the only thing it's gonna
0: only think it's gonna hurt his early numbers is he's probably not gonna play that much in the first in three of those first four games.
1: Fact. Yeah, I, I was gonna say obviously. We're going to head of ourselves just a little bit talking about the Ohio State Buffalo game on September 19th. But I guess that's what we got to do if we're going to talk weekly about Ohio State football. I
0: mean, I I just remember the last time Buffalo came to town, the whole story was was Khalil Mack. And and uh, I, I don't think any of us knew back quite back then just how good Khalil Mack was going to be, but I do remember that's the only thing I remember from watching that game was, was Khalil Mack just eating Taylor Decker's lunch.
1: Yeah, and that's when I realized, wow, Khalil Mack is actually the real deal, and I would want my team to draft him. And turns out uh, they, uh, <laughs> the, the Raiders did make a good pick. Turns out he's very good. Getting back to the quarterbacks, though... Um, I guess you, when you watch Justin Fields, is there any area that you really feel like, you know, I know we have to nitpick with him, but this is an area where maybe he can improve in?
0: Yeah, it really is nitpicking. I mean, I think the one that stands out is we did see him take a fair amount of sacks this past season. So I think that's something not, not just because sacks hurt you on the field, but also because you want to limit the amount of big hits that he's taking. So I would think that's going to be a point of emphasis this offseason in terms of trying to figure out strategies to for him to get sacked less. You're, you're not going to take him out of harm's way completely because part of his game is is extending plays and running the ball. That's part of who he is. If, if you were to restrict him and 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 tell him to throw the ball away as soon as somebody's coming near him he wouldn't be the same player so there's only so much you can do but i do think that if you're ryan day if you're his offensive coaching staff it's part of your responsibility to to come up with strategies to so that he's not taking quite as many sacks that that he can still extend plays and make plays without going down to the ground as often with getting rid of the ball more often before he's getting taken down to the ground so I I think that's certainly an area that he could work on obviously if a quarterback you're you're always trying to just get more accurate better timing with your receivers I thought for a first year quarterback he far exceeded my expectations in those areas already so I don't see it as an area where he's got to make major growth but still I think. If you look at, say, a Dwayne Haskins from two years ago, I don't think Justin's quite on that level in terms of his ability to just throw the ball, pinpoint accuracy all over the field. So I think another year of development with Ryan Day, he can get even better in that area. And, you know, obviously I think you're talking about a guy with a a year of experience under his belt now. I think leadership's going to be a big thing they They preach of him. I'd be shocked if he's not a captain in the fall. So I I think they're going to want him to become even more of a vocal leader, especially now that J.K. Dobbins is gone and K.J. Hill's gone. I think he's going to be one of those guys, along with guys like Josh Myers and Wyatt Davis and Chris Olave and and Luke Farrell. They've got a lot of guys still that can be leaders for that offense. But I think Justin is that quarterback that's going to be a big point of emphasis with him, but again, none of those areas are things that I look at and say, man, he really struggled in that area last year. It's just how do you keep getting better? How do you keep maximizing that ability? I'd be shocked if he he had a bad year because he's he's already done so well, but you're always going to be fighting against regression. You're always going to be you know, fighting to make sure that you keep getting better. So, you know, that's what these next eight months are all about.
1: Yeah, and it's also going to be about, to me, just like expanding what, what he can do and what he can do well. Because it seemed like early in the year, like there were just, there were certain routes, certain route combinations, certain uh, sort of schemes on offense that, that he sort of thrived in. And they, I thought Ryan Day just did a really good job of working within what, the, what he wants the offense to be. And simultaneously working within what Justin Fields feels uh, good about doing, um, and I think that that's hard for both a first-year head coach slash play caller and also a first-year quarterback. Um, and if you got those together, like what they did, was just really remarkable. Um, and it tells you both the talent of, of Ryan Day and and Justin Fields. Um, so I think a lot of it is just expanding what what he can do. I know a lot of people talked about the crossing routes and why didn't. They they run that. I think part of it was just because maybe Justin was better at other parts of the uh, other parts of the game than that. And like that's an area where Dwayne Haskins thrived in. And Dwayne Haskins never got a second year. What could he have been in a second year as a starter? We're gonna find that out with Justin Fields. Like like even even something as simple as the the crossing route that, that we saw so often with with Dwayne Haskins at quarterback is something maybe Justin can develop um, as in a second year.
0: And Kyle talked about it earlier. Ohio State's offense has had a different look every year so far with Ryan Day, so I'd expect more of the same in, in 2020. Even though it's a returning starting quarterback for the first time with Day, I don't think he's going to want this year's offense to be a carbon copy of last year. I don't think it can be because they don't have J.K. Dobbins anymore. They don't have K.J. Hill anymore. So I think they're going to have to make some tweaks, and I, and I think we will again. Against Bowling Green, are we going to see any different wrinkles? Probably not. Against Oregon, will we? I, I would think so.
1: Yeah, no, I agree with that. The The other, um, I would say, probably the most interesting part um, at quarterback, we've sort of buried the lead because, obviously, um, Justin Fields is who Justin Fields is. But but I think probably the, the most interesting part of, of at least spring football is going to be the, the backup quarterback battle because, really, like it's gonna be the quarterback battle for 2021 beginning between C.J. Stroud and Jack Miller, and like that's the underlying theme of of quarterback is that we know exactly who's gonna be the starter, and they don't even have to have a fake competition like they did last year. It's gonna be Justin Fields. This is Justin Fields' team. Everybody knows it. Who's who who's gonna own the team in 2021? Is it gonna be the C.J. Stroud Buckeyes, or is it gonna be the Jack Miller Buckeyes? And and that we don't right we, we just don't know right now.
0: Yeah, it, it feels so weird because Ohio State has a Heisman front runner at quarterback and we'll probably spend more time in the spring analyzing how a couple of true freshman quarterbacks are looking, but yep. that's the reality of college football and, and, and it really is. And, and I don't I don't wanna say it's more important because I I, I think it's always going to be most important to develop your starting quarterback. And, you know, for for Justin, it's also going to be important just working with some of these new receivers that are coming in and 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 working with them and, and getting more timing with some of the guys who are going to be in the rotation this year. So as long as Justin's healthy, which Mickey Marotti indicated he is, Justin's still going to be getting the first team reps all spring because – you're not going to take those reps away from Justin. That Your 2020 season revolves around Justin Fields. So your, your number one focus at the quarterback position is absolutely going to be putting Justin in the best position to succeed this year. But it is really important for the development of C.J. Stroud and Jack Miller to start right now because not only is Justin Fields going to be gone next year. And yeah, I'm 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 willing to jump on that ledge right now. I I don't I do not think Justin Fields will be returning to Ohio State for his senior year. So Breaking. we can assume Justin Fields is going to be gone. We know Gunnar Hoke is going to be gone. So that means most likely the starting quarterback next year is going to be either CJ Stroud or Jack Miller. So having both of them on campus this spring as mid-year enrollees is a huge advantage for both of them it's a huge advantage for Ohio State and and they need to take advantage of this time they need to take advantage of this entire year to develop those guys as much as possible because obviously if all goes ideally neither of them is taking a meaningful snap this year but you would like to get them both in games you would like to get them both snaps this year because most likely one of them is going to be your starting quarterback next year And you need him to be ready, too, because while I would imagine on the first day of spring, Gunnar Hoke is going to be the number two quarterback, if something were to happen to Justin Fields, and and there were a lot of close calls last year, so it's something we have to talk about whether we like it or not. If something happens to Justin Fields, that's where the question now becomes okay, are you going to go with Gunnar Hoke, the guy who's a fifth year senior who's been on campus for a year? Or does CJ Stroud and Jack Miller just offer so much more in terms of their physical ability that one of them would be your guy to take over if something happens to Justin Fields? So it's important both for September to have those guys ready to play because you might need one of them, and it's important to get that ball rolling for 2021 because a year from now we're going to be talking about cj stroud and jack miller competing for a starting job
1: yeah there will be the interesting dance of of how they approach this publicly how they approach this privately how Corey dennis approaches it how much involvement on a day-to-day basis ryan day has this year when he's both preparing justin fields but also like both paying attention to jack miller and cj stroud and and coaching them and and coaching the quarterback competition which is what it's going to be even if they don't call it that necessarily until next spring is like this is this is all a competition because like even if you think back to um the the Dwayne Haskins Joe Burrow competition uh Dwayne Haskins largely won that because of what he did against Michigan the year before um back when back in uh, 2017 um like that's why that's why this matters right now. Every day matters for them. It's it'll be an interesting um to see how they handle it. And I expect that they're gonna basically publicly keep them even. I would be really surprised if honestly any time before the end of next spring, like spring twenty twenty one if we hear anything about um, CJ uh, uh, anything publicly I should say about CJ Stroud being ahead or Jack Miller being ahead in that competition just because like you also have to sort of massage the egos there you have to you have to make sure that no one leaves earlier than expected and you, and you want to be able to, to pick the best one of them to so that you have the best starter possible in 2021
0: yeah it would be a big deviation for Ryan day if he suddenly came out and said, yeah, C.J. Stroud's going to be our backup quarterback this year.
1: He even this year it was on the on the on the depth chart. It was it was Gunner Hoke ended the year ahead of uh, Chris Chuganov, even though they both had oars. Um, on their names, it was, it was Gunnar Oak or Chris Chuganov, but it had become pretty clear early in the year that Chris Chuganov was the backup, but but they never really went out of their way to say that publicly.
0: Yeah, I mean, we could already tell you how the press conferences are going to go. We're going <laughs> to go out there to the first day of spring practice, and somebody's going to take the number two reps, and then we're going to ask him about it, and he's going to say, we're rolling, guys, they're all getting equal reps, and then we'll probably go to the next open practice, and most likely the guy who is number two is going to be number two again, and then we'll ask him about it again, and he'll most likely say they're, they're rolling them and they're all getting equal reps again because that's what he's done before so it'll be interesting to see if they try to cloud it up a little more whether they 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 really do try to give you know cj stroud and jack miller as equal reps as possible and, and i would think they should i would think especially this spring i would think you'd want to give those two as, as many basically as equal reps as possible just to evaluate them and to develop them, because you need to see what you have of both of them, and you and you need to get both of them ready. You, both both of those guys need to be ready to play next year. So it, it's it's really important just to take every opportunity you can to develop those guys, and and I think that will be you know I think that will be the focus. I don't I don't think you're going to go into day one of spring ball and say, okay, who's better, C.J. Stroud or Jack Miller? You're going to be thinking about, okay, how do we get both of these guys better so that they're ready to play when we need them? But, again, the the big question that we have, that everybody has, is I don't even – I think there's two different questions. The one question is who's going to be the backup quarterback on the depth chart you know, my guess would be that Gunner Hoke would start in that role as as the number as the number two guy, at least till you get to the season. Because otherwise, Gunner might decide he's leaving if he if he's the third or fourth string guy on the depth chart. So I would think you're probably going to start with Gunner being the number two two guy. Whether that's the way you should approach it or not is another debate. But I, I think the real question is if something happens to Justin Fields who would be that guy that you're calling on to step in? Because I I, I don't really think that should be Gunnar Hoke if C.J. Stroud or Jack Miller shows that they're ready to play this year because I think those guys are more talented, and I think y- you do want to prepare those guys for
1: the future. Mm-hmm. Um, before we move on to, to running back because I know that we're going to do one of these breakdowns for, for all position groups before the spring I just want to ask I'm going to ask this after every single um, position group that we talk about but who is the one guy more than, more than anybody else who you're most interested to watch during these spring practices that who knows we might get 15 minutes we might see a full practice we don't know that right now but, but whatever time that we get in there which quarterback you most interested to see
0: that's going to be CJ Stroud for me. Just the, the way that he's risen in the rankings over the past year to where, I mean, he was a guy whose name I hadn't even heard of a year ago. And, and now uh, on Tuesday, 24 7 Sports named him as a five star. Uh, I believe he's number 41 in the composite rankings now for the class of 2020. So this is a guy who really made a rapid rise to becoming one of the top quarterbacks in his recruiting class. And. I think either one of those guys could be the starting quarterback in 2021. But if I'm guessing right now, I would guess C.J. Stroud. And if again, going back to my previous question, if I'm guessing right now, who do I think would be that guy who steps in if, if Justin Fields gets hurt? My guess would be C.J. Stroud. And, and part of that's because from the little bit I've seen of, of C.J. Stroud – on film I think he's got some similar traits to Justin Fields in terms of his ability to extend plays. He, he didn't run a lot in high school so I think, you know, designed runs is something he's probably going to have to work on to improve, but just in terms of his athleticism, his arm strength, his ability to make those same kind of plays that Fields is famous for, I think he's got that kind of upside. So I I'm really intrigued to to watch him this spring spring game whatever opportunities we might get to see him play in 2020 because i think he's a guy that if, if ryan day works for kind of magic we've seen work on guys so far he looks like he's got the tools to be their next great one
1: yeah i i would probably pick him too but just for the for the sake of changing up i'll, I'll say jack miller just because we've like you talked about the rise of cj stroud like if we're talking pure rankings like, Jack Miller experienced a, a bit of a slide in his senior year, and I think that was largely related to injuries. And I just, you know, he's healthy right now. Uh, I presume that he'll be healthy in the spring. What's he going to look like healthy? Like, is he going to look like this guy who at at one point seemed like, who knows, he might rise to be a five-star to, to a guy who's currently, I think he's going to end the rankings outside of the top 300. And I'm just, I'm not sure exactly what he's going to look like in person. I've never seen him throw in person, so so I am intrigued by him. You want
0: to move on to the running backs? Let's do that. So, running backs. We already talked a little bit about running backs with Kyle Jones. We talked a little bit about the Crowley situation at the start of a show. This is one of the biggest question marks on the entire team, no doubt. It's it's definitely the biggest question mark on offense going into this spring, and it, it, it's it's one of those things we're going to be talking about a lot for the next eight months, if 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 we're being honest, but. L- losing a guy as good as J.K. Dobbins, as, as dominant as J.K. Dobbins was last year, there's a potential for a big drop off at of this position. And I-, I think Master Teague has a lot of talent. I-, I think he most likely will be the starter this year. I, you know, I, I know Mickey Moratti talked about it last week about physically, Master Teague's about as good as it gets. You, you look at his size. His speed, you know, that combination that he had. You know, Kyle compared him to, to Carlos Hyde earlier in terms of a running style, but he's faster than Carlos Hyde. He, I, I I agree with that comparison in terms of a running style, but but he's got an extra gear that I don't think Carlos Hyde had. So I I I think I think Master Teague has a ton of upside, but I think becoming that complete running back is the whole question now. Ha- you know, not just in terms of running, you know, we haven't really seen a lot of wiggle from him. Like we've talked about, he's kind of a battering ram, bowling ball kind of runner that that kind of just has one way of running. But we also really haven't seen him do anything in the passing game. So so how can he catch passes out of the backfield? How well can he pass block? Those are really important things that we saw guys like Ezekiel Elliott and Carlos Hyde and J.K. Dobbins. For those guys to reach their full potential – You know, they had to become complete players in all phases of a game. And that's where I don't think Master Teague is yet. I think if you read between the lines when coaches talk about him, I don't think he's quite there yet. I think they've seen some good things. I think we've all seen some good things. But we also saw that he didn't do a lot down the stretch. And and now getting thrust into that feature back, starting back role without ever having been that before. It's a lot of uncertainty.
1: Yeah, I... I I mentioned to see how they treat it. Like I think that they're going to give Master Teague every opportunity to to win the job and 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 I think this is one of those situations where a coach is going to say, you know, it's it's not I think Tony Alford can say like it's not Tony Alford necessarily making this decision. It's it's can can Master Teague be the guy that Ohio State needs Master Teague to be? And I wrote about this a little bit ago, but I think sometimes when people are looking at this situation, I think there's an optimistic point of view where you say like well if you're if you're just grading based on on recruiting rankings, that's not really fair to the guys in the room. Like Marcus Crowley was the Gatorade Player of the Year down in Florida. Master Teague's this four three guy who I think Mick Marathi said that he's he's one of the the most fit guys he's he's really ever seen. Um, Steel Chambers is <clears throat> he's an intriguing athlete. Uh, Mayan Williams rushed for a billion yards in Cincinnati. But at the same time, like you're not comp- if if you're Ohio State, you're no longer competing with Michigan and you're not competing with, with what they do uh, up in Ann Arbor you're really competing with with Alabama and Clemson and those programs and like those teams are bringing back Travis Etienne and Najee Harris and and those are guys who are are top of the line running backs and and Ohio State just really doesn't have that right now and i and and i and, and it's too early to really say whether they do or don't but i think there's reason for skepticism right there um Master Teague's a lot different of a running back than, than J.K. Dobbins in a way that you would have to sort of craft your offense a little bit differently. Um, Marcus Crowley's an intriguing guy, but if he misses part of the spring, I think that's reason for concern. Um, Steele Chambers is interesting, but we've really not seen him at all. We've only seen him rush for, I don't know, 15 carries or so. 19 all, carries. Yeah, 19 carries all in garbage time. Um there, is, there. I think there's absolute reason for skepticism, and, and you've got to just take it slow with these guys and at the same time understand that you're not competing for the best running back in the Big Ten. Like You're competing for national championships. You're competing to have the best running back in the country, and I'm, they, they certainly can't say that right now. They've got to figure out a way to get there between now and September.
0: Yeah, I mean, the reality is all these guys are – unproven, at least in terms of a role we think Master T is going to play. He's unproven in that role. And the rest of the guys really haven't played at all. I mean, in, in terms of experience, y- the only upperclassman who may be in the running back room is Demario McCall. And at this point, I think we're both at the point where it's just so hard to know what he's going to be and if he's going to be anything in this offense because he's been hyped up basically the last three years and in the last two years specifically they've moved him back and forth constantly between running back and H-back and, H back and- you know, I, I think part of that was just trying to find a way to get him on the field, but I, I I think the adverse effect of that is when you're moving a guy around constantly and you're not committing to one position, it stunts his development a little bit where, you know, maybe he's becoming a more well-rounded player in terms of being able to do different things, but he's not really establishing himself at any one position. So it's going to be interesting to see what they do with him. My, my guess would be that he will be back at running back, at least for the spring, because talked about it, if Crowley's not there... There's the chance that they would only have two scholarship running backs this spring in Teague and Steel Chambers, with Mayan Williams not arriving till summer. So I think they might have to have Demario McCall at running back this spring. but And, and, and personally, I think that's probably the best move because we talked about it we've briefly before with, with, with Cam Babb and all the talent they've got at receiver. Even with losing KJ Hill. I don't necessarily know that Demario McCall is the right guy to replace him at that spot, and I think they've got enough weapons there in that receiving group. But I don't, I don't think they're going to need Demario McCall there. So I, I, think running backs probably the best spot for him. I, I think he is a guy that he, he, has got some abilities that are different than the rest of the running backs, where especially in a third down back kind of role, passing down back kind of role. I thought we might see that last year. We we really didn't see it much. Maybe now, though, that J.K. Dobbins is gone, and it is going to be more of a rotation. Maybe they find that role for him, but it's hard to really count on a whole lot at this point, considering he's going into his fifth year senior season, and we just haven't seen it yet.
1: Yeah, there. Uh, he is. <laughs> it, it's a now or never season, and that like that's a dumb thing to say well, because he's yeah, it a senior, is. but like literally like. There is so much opportunity in front of him. Like, We're going to see, Like, is, does DeMario McCall deserve a role on, on this team at all? Because there's really nobody at, at, at wide receiver that really has his specific skill set um, who, who can play in that slot, and there's nobody at running back who has his specific skill set. Like, he is, he is different in a way that Ohio State can figure out how to use somebody who, if they're as supremely talented as, as I think a lot of people have believed that he can be as a playmaker then he will get on the field. Um, or as of now, like, I'm just not banking on it. If he can give them anything, that will be more than, than what I think I'm banking on, just based on on what we've seen from him.
0: And I think it all goes back to what Day said earlier this month when he was asked for receivers, and he said about we're going to rank the top six receivers and, and those are the guys that are going to play. And I don't know if they do that exactly that way at every position, but regardless of where DeMario fits in, it's ultimately going to come down to: Is he one of Ohio State's best players? If 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 you rank the players and wh- however many you're ranking, if Demario McCall is one of your best 15 players or whatever whatever it is, you've got to find a way to get him on the field. You you've got to find a way to get him involved if he's one of your best players so far in his career it would appear that he hasn't proven that to the coaching staff so i i think i think this spring in particular is going to be a big spring for him to to see you know whether whether he's really going to make a move toward playing time or or whether there's the possibility that his ohio state career is just going to come and go without him really playing a significant role
1: just an overall is is running back to you more of a question or a concern
0: it's a good question. Uh, I guess that I was think, the question. Yeah, I think it's. I think it's both. I mean, I, I think, I think these guys have talent, and I, I do think running back is a position. You know, if we're comparing to quarterback or corner or linebacker, safety positions like that, like I view the defensive backfield as a bigger concern to me than running back because I think. If your defensive backs aren't able to do their jobs consistently, you're going to have massive problems on the back end of your defense. I think at running back, I I think you can get away with not having J.K. Dobbins. I, I don't think having an elite elite running back is is necessarily going to make or break this team. Now, like you said, when you're competing against the Clemson's and Alabama's could that make the difference between whether you can beat Clemson or not? It absolutely could. So, so for that reason it is a concern because y- you're trying to be the best team in the country and for for me to predict right now that Ohio State's going to have one of the best, you know, running back rosters in the country. I, w- I would not go there because I just don't I I just don't know and it's going to take one of these guys really breaking out and outperforming their recruiting ranking, and again, I, I, it's not all about the recruiting ranks. I, I do think these guys have talent, but I don't I I, I don't know if there's a superstar in the group. I, I, don't, I don't think there's a J.K. Dobbins in the group. It, it would be crazy to say that right now, and I, I think if they play their cards right and can get a solid rotation of two or three guys, I, I think they can still have a strong running game because – For one, they still have Justin Fields, and and when you have a guy like Justin Fields who can both pass and run the ball the way he can, that's going to open things up for everybody. And I think they're going to have one of the best offensive lines in the country again with Josh Myers and Wyatt Davis and Farrah Munford back. So I think all of that can help make up for a potential weakness at running back. But I do think they're probably going to take a step back at that position. I, I, I think for them to be able to perform at the same level... As they did this past year when J.K. Dobbins broke the school record for single-season rushing yards, I don't think they have the guys, at least not in terms of you know, being developed, proven guys yet, that are going to be able to perform at that same level this year.
1: Yeah, I think you're a little bit more optimistic than, than I am, but I think you also make some strong points about the, especially about the the offensive line, um, and and it not necessarily being in a position that you have to have a J.K. Dobbins to win a championship. That said, like when I'm just looking at the personnel, like I'm looking at Matt Teague as a guy who's who's a big, he's a, he's a big difference of, of what we've seen from J.K. Dobbins, and he also struggled a little bit down at the end of the year. I think there are worthy questions there. Marcus Crowley is interesting, but he's also hurt. Steel Chambers, we just haven't seen much of. Mayan Williams I'm just not expecting a ton of because he's a he's a he's a lower ranked freshman who's coming in in and in the summer and maybe that's unfair to him but that's sort of just how I view it right now um so I I, I'm definitely more on the concern if I were to just rank them I mean personally I might I might have it as the biggest concern um on on the team as we sit here in in late January uh but but I also understand what, what you're saying about the defensive backs I think that that's that's definitely a good argument there.
0: Who do you think's gonna play at running back this year? What do you think the rotation's gonna look like?
1: And this this one is just so freaking hard. It's like really I hard. think I think this is harder than, than any position group on the team just because like we haven't seen any of these guys in a rotation before. Like at least last year, like we knew there was gonna be the J. K. Dobbins team. The year before we knew it was gonna be JK and, and Mike Weber going uh 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 with with each other and in the in the backfield and, and this year I'm not 100% sure. If you made me choose, like, I I, I just think that Master's just a safer option right now. And I know that you'd have to change certain things on, on the offense, but I would pick Master to have the most carries, Marcus to, to get in um, a good amount, and um, and Steele to, to sort of be the third back in and, and, and a lesser role.
0: Yeah, I think that's where I lean right now. Obviously, Crowley's health has something to do with that, is I think... If he misses the entire spring with you know whatever his injury situation is, I think that opens the door for Steele to potentially move up into that number two spot. Again, we've we've seen both of them play so little bit for me to say whether I think Marcus Crowley or Steele Chambers is a better running back. It's a total shot in the dark because I I, I just don't know. I mean, you just haven't just haven't seen him play enough to to really make that argument either way with any confidence but you have
1: to you have to essentially base that on the fact that marcus crowley was higher on the depth chart last year and didn't redshirt which means that tony alford probably liked him more
0: and but you also got to factor in that crowley was there for the spring which chambers was not so that that helped and and i i i I do think it's interesting I, i don't necessarily disagree i i i liked what we saw from crowley last year and my guess would be if they're both healthy I would slightly lean toward Crowley being ahead of Chambers on the depth chart, but Chambers was actually a higher-ranked recruit than Crowley was. So I, 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 it's going to be very interesting. I, I think I think behind Teague, I think the depth chart's wide open right now. I, I, I you know I still think Demario is going to get one last shot there, it pushing his way onto the depth chart. Of course, we've seen it. We saw it last year where he was. Purported to be the number two running back going into the season, and then that didn't happen. So we'll see what happens there. I I do think Masters gonna be the starter unless he actively loses the job because he is the only guy that that's played a lot, and you know I think he's gonna be the guy that they trust the most. But I also don't think that's gonna be set in stone. I I, I think the, there's the possibility that Master Teague starts the year as the starter, but I do think there's gonna be a rotation regardless. And I think that if a Crowley or Chambers is that number two back and they perform well early in the year, that I think it could potentially flip where one of those guys could eventually end up superseding him on the depth chart and Teague could end up moving into that number two role.
1: So when, when we go to spring, we watch our 12 minutes of stretching and three minutes of practice. What running back are you most interested in, in seeing? I'm gonna, I'm gonna go steal chambers
0: because I don't know if Marcus Crowley's going to be on the field and and therefore steals a guy that we we haven't seen you know he wasn't there last spring so we really haven't seen much of him at all or even those 19 carries so I, I think that's the guy that my eye will be on the most just to see you know, what he can what he can do whether he looks like a guy that can take that next step and be in the rotation this year
1: yeah, I'll pick uh, Master Teague. I'm interested, and in, I thought Mick Murati. It was a little interesting how how public he made it that that he didn't think that uh, Master was necessarily the leader that he needs to be. I'm interested to see if if we see him trying to step up into that role a little bit more. Um, I'm also interested to see that you know we saw him run with a certain style, but um, I know that it's going to be spring football. It's not exactly going to be. Uh, going against uh, Wisconsin's defense, but when, when he's running do, do you see a little bit more agility? Do you see him doing um, some, some things that remind you a little bit of J.K. Dobbins, whereas I think last year I think we saw a lot of things that reminded you nothing of J.K. Dobbins, or is, or is he sort of who he is, and it's going to be Ohio State trying to figure out how to use master rather than master um, becoming a little bit more more uh, agile and, and, and able to, to sort of cut quicker
0: couple more things to hit on before we wrap up this week's show. We we talked a little bit about the last couple weeks about the decade in review series that we now wrapped up on 11 Warriors. So if you guys haven't had a chance to check that out yet, go take a look and see who our best of, of the 2010s were in a bunch of different categories. You know, we didn't just do one all decade team. We did all kinds of different things if you guys want to reminisce on the past 10 years as you start to have college football withdrawals, lots of stuff there. I, I wrapped it up on Sunday with a look at the best athletes of the 2010s, which was hard. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. It was it was harder than I thought it would be going in because I was actually going to just rank 10, and I ended up ranking 20. And even with 20, it was still hard because I had to leave off guys like J.K. Dobbins, who just broke the school record for rushing yards in a single season, and I couldn't find a spot for him on the top twenty. And I, I, I tried to incorporate as many different sports as I could. Still put five football players on there: Ezekiel Elliott at ten, Dwayne Haskins at fourteen, J.T. Barrett at fifteen, Joey Bosa at seventeen, Braxton Miller at nineteen. I'm sure there were some people who were wondering. Why is this athlete I've never heard of ahead of all these football players who were superstars at Ohio State? But wanted to you know reflect some of the athletes who have really done great things in other sports. And when you when you look, I mean, I was learning as I was writing it because some of these athletes I didn't know about what they had done. But as I was researching different sports and going, wow, you know, this person won three individual national championships. Uh, you know, Nicholas Scherzen from the men's volleyball team was a three-time national player of the year. You know, Kelsey Mitchell from women's basketball was a four-time All-American. You know, Jontel Lavender was a four-time Big Ten player of the year. Uh, Francesco DiLorenzo had probably the two best seasons in Ohio State women's tennis history. So it's fun to kind of look back and, and see some of the different things. I, I went with Kyle Snyder as the number one athlete of the 2010s. Logan Stieber at number two. A healthy room for debate there because Logan Stieber had four NCAA titles. Kyle Snyder only had three. However, Kyle Snyder also had a ton of accomplishments at the international level while he was still at Ohio State, including most memorably winning an Olympic gold medal, which to me, if you're an active Ohio State athlete and you win an individual gold medal in your sport... It's kind of hard for you not to get the top spot. So that was my rationale, Colin. I know you follow wrestling a little bit. Kind of what what would your thought process be on that?
1: Yeah, I think uh, just generally, if you have uh, disagreements with the list, it's it's essentially an impossible task. <laughs> yeah. Like I'll be honest, like going you going through it, I was glad that you're going through it and I didn't have to because I don't know what I would have. Uh, like you're trying to stack up like team uh, like like standouts in team sports versus individual sports. It's impossible, but. I, I, I don't know. I think he made the right call with with Kyle Snyder, good old Captain America. Like when I was when I was covering him uh, and, and the couple times that I was lucky enough to cover him, like it just seemed like he was larger than life when he was out there. I remember Logan Stever actually. He came to, to at least one of the meets that I that one of the dual meets that I covered um, back when I was a student reporter at the Lantern, and he he just had this way about him that you just always knew that he was going to win it was sort of, it, 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 he had an aura about him, which it, it was unbelievable to see when, when he was in the building wrestling. And, and, I, and I feel lucky enough to have seen him. You cannot go wrong with picking either of them. I think. I think, I really do think the gold medal probably pushes it over. Uh, but no, you, you couldn't possibly go wrong with either of those two. Those two are just all-time greats at Ohio State beyond just this decade.
0: Any of my other picks that you disagreed with or points of debate that you thought were interesting?
1: No, I think I think that uh, once again, I think it's basically impossible. So no, I couldn't tell you that uh, you're crazy for anything, as much as I'm, I'm sure you wish that that I that I would.
0: <laughs> no, I, I had other people do that for me. So yeah, that's, there a, you go. that's a. The reality is, there's a lot of really really good Ohio State athletes that were left off that list who probably have a uh, reasonable gripe for not being on there. But when you're trying to pick just twenty out of every Ohio State athlete in the past ten years. Like Colin said, it's a nearly impossible
1: job. So if we're going to talk about the the best best athletes, then might as well talk about this Ohio State basketball team, which is on a real heater right now. Ouch, ouch. Well, you know, I guess i got to make that joke with when they have uh, won two of their last eight with those two wins being Nebraska and, most recently, Northwestern, which, you know, if you had asked me a month and a half ago, if they would be 13-7 and seven and 3-6 and six in the Big Ten, I would have told you you're a crazy person. I just never saw this one coming, um, and maybe that's on me. I knew that they'd regress um, in certain areas, specifically shooting. I didn't know that they'd regress so far past the mean that it would uh, sort of redefine what I thought the mean was.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, it's been a season of extremes for Ohio State basketball. There's no question about that in terms of the start that we saw. From this team going 11 and one, and and now you know a wave that they've really crashed back down to earth, and you know certainly I think they'll you know they are coming off a win here as we recorded this podcast, but I think the loss last week to to Minnesota was another really tough one to swallow. With you know obviously coming down late in the game, you know Ohio State certainly had plenty of opportunity to win that game and. You know, just didn't make enough shots. Just, just allowed Minnesota to stay in the game, and then Marcus Carr hitting the late free pointer of it was ultimately the dagger in the game. But just, just too many of the, too many of those kind of games that really should have been winnable. You know, I think that one and the Wisconsin one are the ones that really stand out. Is, is is games that you know Ohio State really should have won that it didn't. And, and then you look at this upcoming schedule with Indiana coming to town this week, and then you go on the road to Michigan and Wisconsin. You have Rutgers and Purdue and at Iowa and, and then Maryland. And, and the tough thing in the Big Ten this year is there's 12 teams in the Big Ten right now that are legitimately vying for NCAA tournament spots. So it's a good thing they beat Nebraska and Northwestern because those are the two teams that I'm not including in that 12. But you're just not going to have many easy wins in this league. And for Ohio State, they're going to have to show an ability over this next month to be able to win those tough games against NCAA tournament caliber teams, or they're going to be in some trouble.
1: Yeah, I, I think the way that I would put this is that Ohio State, to get to the tournament and right now... Like, I know, I know a lot of people think that they aren't in the mix now that they have just fallen apart in the past month, but they are actually, like, if you want to look at the bracketologists out there, like, they're currently in the field right now. They would have to continue to fall to, to miss the tournament. The, the, what I would say is to get to the tournament, what they have to do is do what they should do. The real problem with that is in the past month and a half, they just haven't done what they should do. And when I talk about that, I talk about winning the home games against teams that are absolutely beatable. And teams that don't have more talent than you, um, teams that teams that you should beat. And that, to me, like you said, that's Wisconsin and Minnesota. And that's a game, the, the Wisconsin game, where they lost by four. The Minnesota game, they lost by three. Could have, should have won those. And if those are the kind of games that Ohio State loses down the stretch, there, there is a real legitimate possibility that they would make the tournament. Like this Indiana game is going to be a little bit telling. Because Indiana is a team that I think Indiana has had a, had a, had a solid season thus far. Um, in, the, in the big ten, um, they are doing sort of a they're having they're having a good year and at the same time they're not having the year where it's like, wow, I don't know how Ohio State's gonna beat Indiana, Indiana's sixth in the big ten. Um, this is one of those games where it's like Ohio State, if it's a tournament team, it should win this. And you know, they go on the road to, to Michigan, Wisconsin like ultimately if they beat Indiana, if they then come back and, and beat beat a Rutgers and a Purdue team, neither of which are are top ten teams, they're absolutely beatable. Ohio State was once a, a top twenty five team, like Rutgers somehow is. Um, like these are these are the kind of games that, that they can and, and should win, and, and it makes like I think the 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 away games they don't necessarily have to win those. Like following the the Indiana game, like I just said, they go to Michigan, Wisconsin, they don't necessarily have to win those. That's gravy to them. Right now, I think they have to take care of business. They have to win the the beatable. um, You have to win against the beatable opponents at home, and then what they can do on the road is is gravy. The problem is they just haven't done what they're supposed to right now. And welcome to where they are. There was a poll on 11
0: Warriors on Tuesday. At this point, do you think Ohio State makes or misses the NCAA tournament? And as of the time of recording, 51% of respondents, and keep in mind that most of these respondents are Ohio State fans, 51% thought Ohio State would miss the NCAA tournament, which that surprised me a little bit. I still think some of this bubble talk, they're going to miss the NCAA tournament talk is overreacting because if you look at the the bracketologists and the metrics and all that, they still don't show that Ohio State's on the bubble. Ohio State's still got some room above that. Now, like you said, if they don't win those beatable games over the next months, could they fall down to a bubble? Ab- absolutely. They, they're they not going to have a lot of easy games left on the schedule. So they, they have to win some of these games in order to solidify themselves in the NCAA tournament. But you know, I, I, I still think if, you, if you're setting odds on it, I still think the odds are a lot better than 50-50 here.
1: Yep, no doubt about it. They have 11 regular season games remaining in the Big Ten tournament. And if you think about what about last year? You don't have to go that far back to think about a team in this literally exact spot where right. they're entering February with a 13 and seven record, having lost six of their last eight games. That is literally what happened last year, exactly to a T. Exactly. And what they did at the end of the year, they want they went five and six in the last eleven games, won one game in the Big Ten tournament, and they were in without really much uh, much concern um, when when the when the committee was picking teams and. The difference is this year, the metrics are better behind them, um, and what they did in the non-conference schedule is more impressive than what they did last year, which gives them more of a benefit, where it's like, could they go 4-7 and seven down the stretch and win one game in the Big Ten tournament and, and make the make the NCAA tournament? Like, yeah. As crazy as that sounds, like, that is a legitimate possibility this year.
0: Yeah, and that's why I, I think they're going to make the tournament. So I, do I, I. I don't... I don't. I don't have any expectations right now for what they would do in the tournament, but I think, you know, but I, I mean, to me, I, it, like you said, it's played out basically exactly the same way it did last year. And my feeling is it's going to kind of play out the same way again. I kind of, I see them going around 500 in the rest of their games, probably win one in the tournament. And I think that's enough. I I, I think that will be enough to get them in. Certainly when you think about where this team was in December, that's not what you would hope. You you would hope that this team, you know, can get on a hot streak and can can go win some more games. It, you can't predict that right now because of the way they've played in their last eight. But I think this team will make. I think this team will make the tournament. I mean, they better make the tournament because if they if if they don't make the tournament, that would mean really, you know, like you said. I mean, that would mean winning two or three games the rest of the year. And if that <laughs> happens, if that happens then
1: then we're talking about like a catastrophic meltdown that has really never been seen. Yeah, before. <laughs> and then, and
0: then the pressure is really going to be on Holtman going into next year of, 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 of what's going on. And, and, you know, I, 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 I do, I think, you know, it, it's part of sports, but, you know, we always live in the moment and, you know, it's, it, it's always when things are going great, we want to talk about final four. When, when things are going bad, it's, it's, the season's over and, and everything's falling apart and I think the reality of his team is somewhere within these two extremes the, the weird thing is that we've seen this script play out two years in a row now so as we talked about last week I think the big thing you know going forward for for Chris Holtman is going to be you know this this can't happen again next year you've got to you've got to figure out a way that you know your, your team can play at a more consistent level instead of falling into this chasm in the middle of the season but i think they'll bounce back like you said i think this next game on saturdays is a, a, another very important game for them i think indiana at home that's the type of game that it's not going to be an easy win but it's the type of game you need to win if you're going to lock up your place in the tournament
1: no doubt about it um you want to talk quickly about what we're doing next week
0: yeah, so I think next week's show, it next week is National Signing Day, so we're going to take next week, we're probably going to record it before National Signing Day, if we're being honest, but the reason for that is because the 2020 recruiting class is locked up. As of this afternoon, Tuesday afternoon we're recording, Cameron Martinez announced that he will sign with Ohio State, so there's really going to be no drama next week. For National Signing Day, but uh, unless something changes with Martinez here in the next seven days, which seems very unlikely, he's going to be the 25th man in Ohio State's recruiting class of 2020. They're, they're not pursuing anyone else at this point for a scholarship in this class, so the Buckeyes class is pretty much done, and, and that's what we're going to talk about next week. Uh, you're going to you know really deep dive into the 2020 recruiting class, you know, talking about all the guys that are coming in and, and what they could bring to Ohio State. So you know, we'll try to hit on everybody at least for you know a minute or two. But if you guys have any specific questions about the incoming Buckeyes, you know, let us know over the next week and and we will answer them. And you know, a lot to be excited about this class. More than half of them are already on campus. I think the weird thing that I'm still getting used to is is the fact that that February signing day. At least from our end, a lot of our work is already done. Because I remember a couple years ago, you know, we'd have to be writing all of our drafts to get ready for, you know, the guys who who are going to sign and they're going to send in their letter of intent on Wednesday morning. And other than Cam Martinez, it seems like that's pretty much done. So not going to be a whole lot of groundbreaking stuff happening on National Signing Day. But I think if you're Ryan Day, I think if you have a coaching staff, you feel good right now knowing that. National Signing Day is a week out, and, and you're not trying to chase anybody. You're not waiting on any last-minute announcement. You're using this next week before uh, the dead period
1: starts up again to focus all your energy on
0: 2021.
1: Yep, it's a good place to be in because they already have a top five class, and they can already move on. And that 21 class already is has got some studs in it. Well, we're running out of time today, so we'll save
0: that for next week. We'll uh we'll talk a lot about recruiting next week and about the next wave of Buckeyes coming in. So hopefully, if you're an Ohio State football fan, if you you want to hear more about the new 25 Buckeyes who will be joining the team this year, hopefully you'll tune in next week. So thanks again for listening in, and we'll talk to you again soon.